Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of your illustrious hosts. My name is Christopher Lyle Chafin. Uh, and I am one of your illustrated hosts, Caleb. That is my middle name, Shively. Yeah, you're like a real Looney Tune over there, brother. You're like a real illustrator. You're like a Merry Melody. Oh, I like that. Uh, a real Mickey Mouse's friend. Yes. A real, oh God. That was one of the fun things about going to Epcot when I was a little kid was, it, I mean, this is, and this is a joke like in The Simpsons or whatever, but like the characters that I had never seen or heard of before <laughs> that there was like a thousand plush toys of, like Figment is a big one at Epcot. Figment is this like, it's a dragon with really tiny wings and a giant belly. And it's like, I guess he was in some kind of shit. Oh, Pete's dragon, yeah, maybe. maybe? I, I'm not sure. I don't sure. know if he was He might've been in uh, the Imagineering ride that uh, Michael Jackson was did. That Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. In, right inside there. of the dome at Epcot. Yeah. yeah. That was a big deal. I actually never went in it because I don't know why I was scared to go in the dome. See, I, I had a great time at Epcot because uh, we went to Florida when I was like seven to do all those things. My sister got sick on Epcot Day, so it was just me and my dad on Epcot Day. <laughs> oh, that's really fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Every week on Actually Best Choice, where every other week on Actually Best Choice movies, we talk about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new. And they're related in some way, like like the way your original idea for a creative project is to the eventual outcome of the creative project. Um, would you say, Caleb, is that, am I describing the show correctly? Yes, we take what is out there in the world that has been looked upon and deemed worthy of being looked upon and worthy and... We talk about it, and uh, one's old and one's new, and that's what Chris said earlier. You see, what I li- here's what I like about you, Caleb, is that just to listen, it sounded like utter nonsense what you just said, but in fact, it was 100% accurate, and and, and if I may say so, well put. Yeah, that's uh, my whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this week on the show, we're talking about uh, two movies, as usual. One of them is, yes, a, an actual 2020-released movie. It's uh, the 40-year-old version premiered at Sundance in January and is on Netflix right now. And also The Big Picture from 1989, directed by Christopher Guest. That is all this week on Actually, Best Choice. Movies. Movies. But before we get to any of that, uh, we were just going to like rap at you for a second about what we thought the connections were between these two movies. Uh, and if you've seen both of them, you, it's pretty apparent. But um, Caleb, like, what's what's the thread? What's the phantom the thread connecting these two films? The phantom thread uh, by P.T. Anderson is, uh, you know, both these movies deal with compromising one's vision. And when you say that, especially in film, it's like taking a peek back behind the scenes of a production. For example, in a uh, 40-year-old version, uh, it's looking at uh, a little bit of Broadway, how uh, play, play, she's a playwright and that, how those get made. And the big picture, uh, he is a young film director and he's just entering the Hollywood system. And, you know, you take your initial vision and then you have to deal with the producers and all that. You know, studio versus independent gets weighed in there. But, but to relate that to an audience, you know, that's what we do every day in our lives. It's the masks we make for ourselves versus, you know, our mm. true nature and, uh, like, you know, how I interact with my good friend Chris versus how I talk to my boss on a Zoom call these days, <laughs> too. It's uh, exactly the same, I would guess. Is it not exactly the same? <laughs> no. Uh, but, you know, it's we all have our hopes and how we think we want things to turn out, and then there's uh, how we deal with the reality. And, you know, hopefully the actual outcome is somewhere in between and that because that usually is the outcome 
Yes. I mean, again, Caleb, very well put. Um, yeah, and I would just add to that to say, like, these are two movies, like you said, they're about, like, not just working in the creative industries, but about, like, figuring out who you yourself mm -hmm. are, which is, of course, a big part of working in the creative industries because when you're doing something that's, like, disconnected from your real identity, well, it's, it's hard because some people that do that are extremely, extremely successful and have a lot of money and seem to be very happy with themselves. But then there are some people who cannot do that and who feel like they have to be emotionally invested in the thing they're doing. Yeah. Uh, in order to make it good because if, if you're not invested in it then it, it turns out bad but like you know some people just don't notice that <laughs> and that's that's what both these movies are about they're actually both really really good looks at like their respective creative yeah. industries like filmmaking and broadway like really accurate mm -hmm. looks at those worlds and good like actually making something good uh, uh, uh mind frames of what it is to be an artist and uh and like i said what yeah. it, compromising and like taking your artistic merit and defining it and also defining it within someone else's definition of what it can be too. Uh, which, you know, is well, interesting and will make sense more after we talk about the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about this too much longer, but like, yeah, they, I mean, they're both very like American creative industries movies in a way because they, they help as somebody, if you're just a person who watches movies and TV and you, know, you don't really think about the, the business of them, it can be easy to forget that it's like, it's a job. You know what I mean? It's a job. You have to go to meetings. You have to like act mm -hmm. professional. And so this is movie is about like the job of being a creative, but like at a very, very high level, like writing and directing movies or like writing and directing Broadway plays. It's basically like, it's still a job and you have to do all these jobby things. And you can, in like a job, you can end up feeling stuck at a certain level and you can't progress. And part of you is like, oh, I guess if I just like, acted like these assholes maybe i would progress but then the people ultimately realize like oh no i have to be myself yeah. to, to to progress and also they are both debut features from these two comedic minds uh we have yes. radha blank here in her uh debut feature film uh which you know on netflix right now and then christopher guest who is the man is the fucking man right. uh you know this is his uh 1989 uh this was post snl post spinal tap he Got to go in the studio machine in uh, 1989 make a movie. I mean, it is interesting, and I, I didn't do any research, really, because I'm very irresponsible. But, I mean, thinking about Christopher Guest, obviously he had been in Spinal Tap, and obviously he had been on a Saturday Night Live, and he was he was kind of like the Andy Samberg of SNL in the mid to well, early He was only on it for, 80s, like, right? a year. Well, what I mean is he did that the videos, he, his yeah. specialty was doing videos. Yeah. He did, like made films that they showed inside of Saturday Night Live, and that's actually what mm -hmm. he was, his specialty Yeah, he was, was a great sketch artist, uh, National Lampoon's. Uh, he did uh, Lemmings. He wrote for the, uh, that. Um, he also did, yeah. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the TV TV. Uh, no, I'm like not. Him I'm and not. Billy Crystal, they did like three specials in the 80s the, before he was on SNL. They're, they're great. Uh, that's cool. But yeah, Christopher Guest. We're going to talk about how great Christopher Guest yeah, is. We're going to talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, should we get going? Let's get going. Let's just start with the show. Shut your show. Let's go. Okay, this week, our first movie, written and directed by Rada Blank, it's the 40-year-old version. How's somebody who ain't had no real hit gonna tell me how to write a play? She ain't no Tyler Perry. I did win a 30 under 30 award. Yes, it was quite a couple of years ago. What do I gotta do? Write a slave musical, an all-white play? This some bullshit. 
The 40-Year-Old Version is a new film written, directed, produced by, and starring Rada Blank. Uh, it premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival. Like like I said, yes, this this year, 2020 Sundance Film Festival, it's in January. It must have been like, like the, one of the last things to happen in the world. But it, it happened, and Blank won Best Director in the Drama Feature Film category, which is, I would say, deserved so the the movie it follows this character played by blank who's a playwright but who was like once the hottest you know writer in new york city when she was younger but she's we never really find out what happened but you know we meet her and she's settled into this life teaching high school students and putting on these like workshop plays at these small like experimental black owned theater spaces that like you know foreground the experience of blackness uh so she eventually finds during the course of the movie, she finds commercial success, but it's like at the cost of her, you know, creative drive. But while this is happening, she begins to come like more fully herself by starting to write hip hop, which has actually done pretty skillfully in the film because it's it's following her career as a playwright. She's going to these cocktail parties and she's trying to figure out how to be a playwright or she, you know, trying to how to succeed and get to the next level. And she keeps hearing like hip hop songs in the background, like from people's apartments or her cars. And eventually she has this kind of aha moment that like, this isn't just a nuisance. This is like a massively popular art form and like a possible way she could be expressing herself. So she starts exploring herself through hip hop uh, and at the same time where she's having these problems in her playwriting career. The movie was shot in New York in black and white, you know, which is kind of consciously puts it in this lineage with Woody Allen and Spike Lee. And we're just kind of following Blank's character as she learns to like more fully inhabit the city and herself. I thought this was a really great movie, Caleb. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, yeah. I agree. Great intro. I re- really enjoyed this film too. Uh, and you know, the, it's a comedy, and the story seems very familiar. But it, as it comes fully formed, it comes fully formed with a lot of sincerity about all the aspects of it, from the New York to all the characters, and it just makes the the humor itself a very authentic and very confident, uh, which you know allows it to take some weird swings, which you know makes for a great comedy. It really is a very impressive especially for a first feature as it like it just touches on so many genres too like at times it's a romantic comedy and like a showbiz farce and a classroom drama and there's a grief memoir aspect to it uh there's like a the artist as evolves as a human and you know what up brooklyn it's all kind of movies confidently directed and it's all wrapped up as a kind of autobiography of uh an artist uh rada blank and i was just very impressed overall by this film yeah i was too i mean we uh, catherine actually watched with me again and the mark of quality is that catherine stayed awake (laughs) the entire movie sure again it's very rare she she did and she really (laughs) liked it but yeah i mean there's i mean there's so many things to talk about in the movie i hardly know where to begin but like yeah just the idea that it is it is like a new york film and you can tell it's made by someone who lives in new york city and loves new york city and it's it's shot in black and white and it's there's lots of shots, you know, like dollying. Yeah, down a lot of transitional shots are so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you're just—I was gonna say—you're like get to see all these like it's set in mostly in Harlem, and it's like she's you know you see all the beautiful brownstones in Harlem. I mean, it is funny. Like I haven't spent that much time in Harlem, but it is basically almost exactly like Brooklyn uh, in terms yeah. of that it's like brownstone living, you know. So lots of love shots of those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Lots of like sort of knowing New York stuff, like her having an argument with the bus driver who won't open the door for her. And then one of the great things, which I have no one think I've ever seen in a movie before, but has happened to me in real life like a thousand times, which is she's on the bus, she's running late, 
and they start yes. doing this thing where you're um you have to let in a handicapped person someone in a wheelchair onto the bus and you have to like move all these seats and like undo <laughs> all these a straps thing as a new yorker that you it's it takes forever it takes forever 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 and so right as he's starting to do it the bus driver she goes like hey could you can i just get off before you start like i, I can get off here this is my stop but i i'm just in a hurry and he is like this lady <laughs> doesn't want me to help the disabled <laughs> Uh, that's a lot of like just good uh, success as a director. That's a good eye, good follow your passion, and that just helps liven the actual setting of the film. Uh, and it's also, you know, like you said, it's the characters that pop up too. Like there's a lot of great talking heads in this movie. Like the movie starts off with just people in a neighborhood talking about turning 40. Uh, there's also a great homeless guy who I really thought was really it's funny. It's like the fucking first episode of Sex in the City. Like it's got oh, all I'm these man on the street not interviews, familiar right? with the first episode of Sex in the City. Are you really not? No, for the first couple episodes of Sex in the City, they incorporated <laughs> these kind of man on the street interviews about whatever was going on oh, in, uh, in the like show. Oh, like the first couple episodes and the entire series of the Amy Schumer inside Amy Schumer show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think the idea was because they were adapting a newspaper column. They didn't. And the newspaper column obviously had quotes from this is sex in the city. Right? They were yeah. sex in the city. Yeah. They were trying to find it, it. It makes sense as a way to adapt a newspaper column, but they very quickly decided it was, didn't make any sense. It was really stupid. <laughs> so it is such a great knowing New York movie and you know one of the main main strands of the plot you know if not like the i think it's like the a plot basically is her existing in this world of broadway and it's like the guy who owns the experimental theater where she's been putting on her plays for a long time and he's like crazy and but also like very creative and true to himself but he's and he's also like cheap and screwing her over like that's extremely accurate like that's lots of people in the in the arts in new york are like that and then she also goes to all these like fancy cocktail parties with these very rich old people that like where their tastes are like edgy in this way that is kind of like weird and like, exploitive and like borderline oh racist. yeah but but they just think of themselves as being like avant-garde uh, yes you know? i think the uh, great way to put that is it's very white it's like she's showing these it's very, very white, white people, like the, the yeah. guy who was the producer and throw these parties is an extremely white uh, man, a person who puts her in a place and tells, says things to Rada, like rang a little inauthentic. I asked myself, did a black person really write this? He says that like unironically to, to a her black about movie. her own play, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, let's talk about this play a little bit. The play is called Harlem Ave. Uh, not Avenue. Yes. They make a point to say it's called Av. It's like a running yeah. joke. It's like on the slate, like on the whiteboard outside the rehearsal room. It says Avenue, but they've crossed out Venue. <laughs> so it just says Av. And to uh, talk about uh, how it becomes, uh, what, what the show's topic is about how art gets worn out. It starts as a story about a black-owned corner store. It's vulnerable to gentrification, uh, but mostly through the eyes of a couple. Uh, and then through rewrites and this all this outsider input, it becomes this corny, watered-down-for-a-white-audience pizza, like, green book bullshit. And that, I think that is very interesting because she was presented with a path to not go that way, too. And she didn't have to choose this big Broadway theater pass. Well, yeah, it's like yeah. she wants the success. Yeah. She wants. Yeah, she yeah, has boil this it down idea to... of traditional success and money, and, mm -hmm. like, that's what she And wants, the way they boil it down know. to it's, uh, it's like an artistic integrity versus making money for to feel really authentic. And I think a great way they... Uh, did that was through her agent, which is her best friend, and who's not a white man, was a gay Asian man, uh, and he represented that make money choice for Rada. And so a lot of the conversations were 
just very open and raw because it, they were two friends talking. Uh, it's also yeah. cool that it's not a straight white man. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and also that didn't mean it didn't feel heavy handed at all, too. It felt like very real. Yeah, it felt very organic yeah. and real, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's through the no. chemistry of the two actors, too. I forget. I'm blanking on that actor's name. Uh, his character's name is Archie. Uh, Peter Kim, mm. Peter Kim, I just remembered. Peter yeah. Kim, he's Peter Kim is really great in the movie. Like you're saying, the, their their story is supposed to be their friends from high school, and they like went to prom together, <laughs> and she pretended to be his girlfriend to his parents while he was still in the closet and being gay. And so now he's he's her agent, but he's also like an agent to people that actually make money, and he he is rich. But like she, he's still her agent because of their friendship, and he's always trying to advise her to do things that would make her rich, but she doesn't want to do mm-hmm. them, you know. And I think you were talking about like the way they portray the kind of sell out or be true to yourself. I mean, I agree, and I, but I also think it's a little, like a little bit more complicated, and it's something I super identified with. And this is also the same thing in the big picture: is it? It's not just like sell out or be true to yourself. It's like maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Like, mm-hmm. even though she is somebody who like was a, she was supposed to be a 30 under 30, but then now we meet her and she's 40 and she's never done anything really. So no matter the success you've had, it's like you get in these rooms and there are these people who are the creative professionals, you know, the producers and the like marketing people or whatever. And they're the people who's like, this is their job. And they come in every day and do it. And they're like, Oh, well you can't do that because of this. And then you're like, Oh, well I don't, I mean, Really? And they're like, well, yeah, what are you, stupid? <laughs> like, you can't do that. And it's like, it's it has this crazy effect on you because you're like, well, I guess, you know, I thought I was an artist, but also, like, maybe I fucking don't know what I'm talking about. And it's this real whole thing of, like, not having confidence. not Just not having confidence in yourself. Yeah. And it can be very, very hard to, to get past mm-hmm. that. And I think that speaks to her as, uh, you know, a real person. Uh, like, she's not a typical starving artist. Like, this, uh, like a watered-down version of this movie would be, like, They'd be super struggling, but you know she's. We're pretty informed about her, like you said. She, she like has a yeah, job. Yeah, she has a job. You know, she, she has an apartment. She, has no, she's a, and, she won a thirty under thirty. She's fulfilled, and she's also fulfilled and challenged in that teaching job she has. She has an agent, but it all works because Rada is very smart and witty, and uh, it's commendable that she, in a lot of the art, she brings her own experiences and struggles to things that she's doing, uh, and she also gets really defensive, and she's kind of emotionally needy, too. It's very much a real person, and I think that's why I really like this movie is because she's a really good rapper, too. Well, so, yeah, to talk about the other half of it, so this is all going on, all these, like, old white people things, struggle with the arts industry, blah, 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 and so while this is happening, it's like, yeah, she decides, like, oh, maybe I could do rap, and I, I think the way it's handled is so interesting and so nuanced, because it's like, she's going, she has to go, she finds some guys on Instagram, right, where to, like, she go, finds some, who She finds beat some makers. beats on Instagram, probably through SoundCloud, too. Yeah, yeah. and so she then she goes to their apartment and is, like, gonna buy beats from them in weed, and it's like... It actually reminded me a little bit of that show that you guys, you, I know you like, and I've watched a couple episodes of and actually did think was good, but like Dave, right? It's kind oh, of sure. like Dave, but it's like Rada Blank is Dave. Like an actual talented rapper, yeah. Was a talented rapper, but also like a fish out of water. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't fit in with these people because she's this, like she comes from this theater world where you're always having to impress rich white people. Yeah. And she is just, she is just a smart person and like articulate and sensitive. And so she gets around all these like cool young 25 yeah, year olds th- that are like smoking pot all the time. And she feels, and they, they address it explicitly where she's like, Oh, you think I'm just like, I don't know about this shit. Like I grew up in Brooklyn. Like I know about this shit, but like, she doesn't sound that different from like how Dave would talk. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, you mentioned earlier, um, like she always hearing these rap songs and it's like, I think they play the same rap song about, I forget the, actual lyric yeah. but it's like 
uh, pound cake something where like it's very misogynistic of of course and very not creative you know she hears that and she's an older black woman she knows it's not the ideal industry for her but she's talented enough like most of her raps are about like having a bad back and sciatica <laughs> and it's very very good too well the big one that she does is called like poverty poverty Porn, Porn is right? such a good rap about... yeah there's genuine passion it's, it's... in her playwriting and her rapping and it makes both these things feel so alive and so we're on her side hundred percent. Yeah. Well, yeah. The poverty porn one. It's like it's like basically she's talking about the things that the white people want her to do to her play, and they like literally do want her to do all these things, and they all like they happen basically. But she's just saying all the things. You know, it sounds like a Wu Tang song or something. <laughs> you know, it's like you know kids shooting up in the stairwell, and it's like, but it's like that. How real is that stuff? It's like it's it's real, but it's also like why is that the only thing anyone wants to talk about uh, or hear about? The rapping also brings in a bigger character in this movie. Uh, just goes by D. Uh, he's a quiet guy. He's the producer. He's the one who does all the beats throughout the court. And because she's such a good rapper, and he explicitly says it, it's because of her storytelling. Like he admonishes another rapper for not having good storytelling. And he it, kind of like the success in rapping becomes represented by D in this movie. Uh, and he, I like, and I, I think I, I like that. Ultimately, uh, I went back and forth a little bit about the whole because it's like a rom commy story between these two. It's kind of weird. He, well, he comes out of a, uh, he comes out of being attracted to her out of a sense of respect, which I thought was like really cool. Like he just really respects her as a person. In a movie where a lot of the characters are telling her Rada like what to do or like you should do this, I appreciate that he was more of a quiet person, and it added legitimacy to like when he actually ultimately said what like his opinions about her and also uh this is a little bit of a spoiler but that they leave the whole thing open-ended at the end so it's like oh cool the movie doesn't attach itself to this whole relationship at all i i i really like it and you know he's a good actor fine enough he is a very good actor the guy that who's d and it is like an interesting kind of storyline in a certain way but i i will say my only knock on this movie is it's it's like two it's just over two hours long it's like one of you know, it, it, which is pretty long for a movie like this. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like a movie like this usually clocks in a lot closer to 90 minutes, you know, maybe 100 minutes. And this one's like two, it's like 624, I guess, which is like, it has a couple more plot lines than it needs. Like, like so everything we're talking about is great and so interesting, but there's like also a plot line about her being a, a teacher in high school. Mm-hmm. And there's also a plot line about the kids in the high school and there's like the kids in the high school have like two different plot lines, mm-hmm. you know? And there's then there's like, like kids, also, and then, yeah, yeah. there's like a lot, a lot of stuff in the movie. I feel like you could have trimmed yeah. out some of the plot lines and it would still be a fantastic yeah, it's, film. I mean, it is a good film with all those plot lines, but yeah, it is a, a lot to take in a lot to keep track of it. Uh, uh, they all like kind of coalesce, like a, especially I think the stuff with her mother is like touches on everything she yeah. does and makes it even real. Cause I think, I mean, that's a real aspect that happened to her, and she brings in her real mother's art and her cast her real brother to play her brother. But yeah, there is a lot going on, and these are, like, big emotional things, too, we're talking about, but, like, it is a very funny movie, too. Like, there's... It is. It is also very funny. I mean, she is basically, like, a Woody Allen Yeah, I I, I like that She's very, like, anxious and neurotic, and she's always kind of apologizing to people and doing the wrong thing. She reminds me a lot of the the Woody Allen character, which I didn't want to bring up because I don't want to bring up Woody Allen anymore, but he is made films that i, I mean enjoy. Look, you can't you can't deny that he's just like established modern new york city on film he made a certain template for a way to make a movie in new york yeah yeah and it's very very influential and yeah like you said she's very uh nebbish and uh stubborn in her way uh 
And that's, yeah. but you know, it's cool that there's a, a bigger black woman who can do that. Cause it's obviously true that people like that I mean, exist. It's so yeah. interesting, right? It's, I mean, the movie definitely has a very, very complex understanding of like race and gender and class, mm-hmm. but, it, and, but in a certain way, it's just because she's just so effectively and honestly speaking from being like a middle-class person in New York city, just, just completely being herself and not really, I, I just found it so authentic and I identified with so much of this stuff so strongly and I, I just thought it was so well done, mm-hmm. you know, the way that she exists as a person in, in New York City. Um, yeah, all this stuff is great and good, but what makes this movie, I think, to the upper tier realm of one of the best of the best I've seen in a long time is it's like it's the funniest comedy I've seen in a long time too. I, I we touched on it, but uh, there's like a big cringe comedy scene, uh, and it kind of like felt not true to the rest of the movie where like she smokes too much pot and like stutters oh a little God, bit. Right? It's super cringe. But, like, you have this big set cringe thing, and it's one of those things where, like, it's a comedy. Things are over-the-top stuff happens all the time. There's room for these jokes, and a lot of these jokes happen. Uh, I literally there's a very funny homeless man in this movie, too, who uh, talks about, oh, you're looking for a homeless man speech right now. Like, they go meta with that. He's like, oh, well, this is the part where I'm supposed to tell you something (laughs) really wise. Uh, And he's uh, like, fuck you, I don't know. uh, Her student's play is about sperm, like, a sperm kingdom that's very weird and funny there's a great yeah. running joke about the white producer he keeps getting her tra- to try and write harriet tubman musical which turns into a ida b wells musical and then it's a shirley chisholm <laughs> musical so, and then it's a sojourner truth musical <laughs> it's just like you know some famous black lady from yeah. the past you know it just <laughs> she never loses sight of like just keeping that shit Fresh and funny, too. Uh, just a very great film. Uh, another thing I was impressed at that I read, she shot this in 21 days. That's crazy. Crazy, dude. yeah. That's Shout crazy. out to her uh, cinematographer, which is, you know, black and white. A lot of cool shots. His name's Eric Bronco. He also did the movie Clemency from last year. Uh, but yeah, mm. name to look at there, too. But Another thing movie. I want to say, because uh, I feel like we're kind of getting near the end of yeah, talking yeah. about it, but like, and I, I'm sure you picked up on this also, Caleb, but maybe you didn't, and I'm a genius. Um <laughs> When you finally, at the end of the movie, you see the play she's been working on this whole time, and she's had to make all these compromises and changes and blah, 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 blah. And you finally actually see it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, is this supposed to be In the Heights? The Lin-Manuel Miranda musical? And I Googled it, and like, yes, it is. She's directly going after Lin-Manuel Miranda and In the Heights. In the Heights is like Lin's first thing. It was this like hip-hop musical about growing up in the Yeah, we might be reviewing it next year when it gets released. (laughs) Yeah, right. But so like literally if you look up the set for In the Heights, it's exactly the set of Harlem Avenue. It looks exactly the same. Like the way it starts with like hip hop. Like, I mean, it's just, it's like this hip hop musical that all the old white people love. It's like, I actually, I found a Guardian interview where the person brings up to her like, oh, is this In the Heights? And she's like, oh, ha ha. Yeah. Did you notice that? That's hilarious. Wow. I didn't. And he, she was like, she get, it's funny because there's actually a scene in the movie where she goes on a kind of like the, like the stoop talk show we have in Mm -hmm. New York where it's like, she's talking about, you know, doing local arts coverage and she's giving all these very professional answers saying things she doesn't really mean. And so when the guardian reviewer was like, oh, are you making fun of In the Heights? Her answer was like, Look, of course I'm not making fun of Lin-Manuel. He's one of our great scribes. But I'm just saying there's a system where there's not enough black voices where that's the only kind of thing that gets produced. And it's like, Rod, I just say you think In the Heights sucks. Like, it's okay, <laughs> you know? Like, I know you can't, but it's like, that's literally what your movie's about. Just be like, yeah, that fucking thing sucks. He's such a sellout. I can't believe he did that. He did sell that shit to Disney. 
I mean, or exactly, someone, dude. I mean, corporation. He's the fucking like chimney sweep in the new Mary Poppins. I mean, come yeah. on. Like, yes, his interests were in selling out and making <laughs> a lot of money. Um, so do you want to move on to talk about the next? Uh, and to make a little segue between uh, the next movie, uh, I read an interview with Radha Blank, and she quote uh, cited Christopher Guest, which is the director of the next movie, The Big Picture. Uh, she said, "I wanted to be in the spirit of a Christopher Guest mockumentary, a send up of my life." And that included authentic New Yorkers, which, you know, great, great choice. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Hard agree. So, yeah, big picture. So, our, yeah, so our next movie is Christopher Guest's uh, directorial debut. It's 1989's Kevin Bacon starring The Big Picture. A student's first film can open some unexpected doors. And the winner is Mick Chapman for first date. This is Todd Marvin. I'm calling for Alan Hable. Can I point back? I'm, uh... I'm kind of in the middle of something. I wonder if he's already made a deal with somebody else. Now, he's making new content. We love Christopher Guest. The man has majorly transformed comedy film. But in transitioning from creating sketch comedy to making movies, you gotta start somewhere. So, how auspicious it is, then, for his debut feature to be a film about a director constantly compromising his vision to get the film actually made... Uh, the plot is Kevin Bacon's Nick Chapman wins a National Student Film Award and immediately immediately becomes the Hollywood wonderkind of the week, only for the film to be work, reworked from a black-and-white winter-set film about a love triangle between people in their early 40s to Beach Nuts, a movie about three stewardess ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> At times fairly deadpan, Guest gets a lot of laughs from adhering close to the realities of the Hollywood business, but also breaks up the proceedings with parody cutaways and the occasional Martin Short. Overall, oh an easy breezy watch and humor is subjective. Chris, what's the big picture? Hey, Caleb. So uh, this is a movie actually they used to show on Comedy Central all the time in the very early days of Comedy Central. So I have actually seen, seen this movie a thousand Wow, times. I've never seen it before. Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's funny. Um, you mentioned Martin Short and like there's a, there's a lot to like about this movie. Like you're saying, it is like a studio comedy in a certain mm -hmm. way. I mean, actually, I... So the movie has this very weird music in it where it's kind of early computer synth music that's kind of trying to sound like comedy jaunty music. Yeah. Uh, I personally like it a lot, but it is kind of weird. It is weird. I think and, it reminded me of uh, Guffman music too. So that just like yeah. made a bit Christopher Guest. So that's like a part of just knowing Christopher Guest, I guess. But I guess, oh yeah, Guest, I guess. <laughs> and then we go into this, the opening scene of Kevin Bacon and his girlfriend they're going to a, a fancy event at the national film institute then there's a cutaway it's almost like a family guy episode where he's he's being asked if his name is on the list but he's imagining it like it's nazi germany and he's in this tiny tiny weird car that's his movie for the whole beginning of the movie that's like falling apart with rust and they're playing this crazy computer synth music and i i felt like the message immediately is you are watching a cartoon like this is a cartoon it's going to be a very kind of cartoony vibe yeah to it. i would say like you said family right there there's a lot of cutaways in this movie that are just absolutely wild and weird they're very good because christopher guess is a funny person uh, also co-written by Michael McKeon, who's in this movie, and uh, yeah. Michael Verhol, who uh, was also the third writer on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, I did not know that. That's not a lot of credits, but yeah. Yeah, it, it establishes this tone right away that's like, hey, what a crazy movie you're about yeah. to watch about the movie business, you know? But I, I thought that was effective, and I thought it was like well-established at the beginning, because 
you know, then you can, you know, mm-hmm. what you're, you know, what you're getting into. There is a lot of grounding of the film too. Like not only the Hollywood aspect, which is a ton of, you know, the girlfriend stuff. He has a girlfriend, like you mentioned, he goes to the thing. Uh, that stuff kind of borders on cliche, but it really does ground the film. Like there's not a lot of jokes with the girlfriend. And also uh, he has a best friend too, which is the Michael McKeon character. And that makes the kind of the girlfriend stuff seem a little bit redundant, but it ultimately works in expanding the quote universe of the film in that he has wronging so many people in his journey. Uh, and it just, and that yeah. all aids in the actual moral perspective the film aims for and really makes the satire of the whole, how Hollywood is a meat machine that grounds through you. Uh, and I think there, there's a yeah. very good quote that his agent, which is the Martin Short character, says uh, that could kind of sum up uh, the whole ethos of this movie. He says, I don't know you. I don't know your work. I think that you are a very, very talented young man, and I'm never wrong about these things. <laughs> I know, it's so good. It's so good, He's right? very, uh, that's Martin Short character. Uh, he's so funny. He has like a weird wig. There's something very more spastic than usual about his face. He only has, I read he has seven minutes of screen time, so he's uncredited He's uncredited in this movie, but he wish he was. But yeah, he probably has so much cutting room floor stuff. He goes back with guests probably through Second City stuff. Yeah, dude, like, Martin Short is so good so in this movie. Good. I mean, this is one of, like, the major things to talk about about this mm-hmm. movie. Like, I feel like he, ha- despite this being, like, not necessarily a movie everybody has seen, there are some lines in it that I feel like are just part of the vernacular where like, uh, and I mean, maybe these are just like cliches that he's saying that were already cliches and continue to be cliches, but there's a great scene where Kevin Bacon first meets Martin, first meets Martin Short at this fancy LA restaurant. And then he's like, Martin Short is maybe going to be his agent. Mr. Sussman. (laughs) Mr. Sussman is my father and he lives in Miami beach. (laughs) It's Neil, please sit. <laughs> That's just a thing. That's like a thing people say. I don't know if that was like, if that was it already was a thing or like it's it's just such a nice fucking iconic line. It's so iconic. Um, but he has so many good, so many good scenes like, and scenes where you can tell it's in the movie past what was in the script, but just like Martin did something crazy. Like um, there's a bunch of stuff in the movie with like cell phones and car phones, which it's funny because watching it in 2020, it doesn't seem remarkable, but the joke is in 1990, yeah whatever 1989 that it was like only the craziest richest assholes yeah. had cell phones and car phones, yeah, car phone so is like there's Porsche, a scene yeah. where martin short is on the car phone cell phone and he like hangs up and then he goes like whoa and it's like he almost gets in an accident and then he's kind of wipes at the corner of his mouth and looks in the mirror like he has something on his mouth and he turns up the radio and sort of settles back into his chair smoking a cigarette and he's like oh and he's like comfortable again you gotta know that was just like they just didn't yell cut and they're just martin short is just like going and going yeah. and going you know like <laughs> probably a lot of elements he took that to create jiminy glick which i'm a big jiminy glick fan i think those are those are very mm. funny but yeah definitely i mean that's a hollywood satire in itself yeah well definitely yeah, yeah. but definitely uh there's other people in this movie it stars kevin bacon his characters have nick chapman is i think he does a good job of keeping nick sympathetic which is hard because he's an asshole in this movie yeah so the plot just very briefly is like nick chapman is a student filmmaker he wins a big student filmmaking prize he gets a he gets a uh contract to, he gets he signs a deal with the studio to make his movie and it's like he simultaneously is like 
being reduced and reduced and reduced to like the tiniest, most worthless person in his at the studio as he agrees to do whatever they tell him to do. But then like to compensate around his friends and family, he's like acting like the most important person in the world. And he's being like such an asshole to them. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the first two thirds of the movie, basically. Yeah. And then like you could, you could tell how it goes is then deal falls through. He has to do some menial work, blah, blah, blah. Right. He gets back with his girlfriend who they break up with across the movie. There's also a uh, Terry. Yeah, so he can fuck Terry yeah. Hatcher. Like Terry Hatcher. <laughs> Terry Hatcher is in this movie. Uh, her hair was so huge in this movie. Oh my God. Her hair is so huge it's, in this movie. It's completely out of control. It's the only thing I wouldn't comment on, but like it is absolutely out of control. And the funny thing is it's supposed to be sexy. Yeah. Like when you see, like just legitimately non-comedically, when you see her in 1989, you're supposed to be like, oh, look at this hot babe. But her hair is honestly sticking maybe a full foot up above her scalp in this like crazy crimped and teased <laughs> like bouffant or something. It's fucking wild. Uh, yeah. There's other great performances I'd like to shout out. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee plays a yeah. weirdo named Lydia. She's one of the competing student filmmakers. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of a lot of uh, what Parker Posey's done in Christopher Guest's movies since then. Oh, that's true. It is very much like uh, that. You're but totally also right. in a very weirdo, artistic, unique sense of its own self, too. But yeah, he gets a lot of... I know, he always gets a good... He's Christopher Guest. He gets good people. He directs people well. Uh, like Fran Drescher, I forgot how funny she was in the 80s. Is pretty yeah. funny in this movie as the executive I mean, wife. we're saying... John Cleese showed yeah, up in this movie, like so, just for a very short scene. So he does scene, a lot John of uh, parody f films, or like the, he references Imagination earlier. And even the student films are also parody films of student films, which are hilarious. It's a great way to start the movie. Uh, but yeah, he always casts the good people in that. Like uh, John Cleese is a bartender in like a uh, what is it? A uh, Clarence. What an angel gets his wings. What's that bullshit yeah, called? Yeah, it's uh, it's a wonderful. Yeah, life. they do a parody of that, and then Elliot Gold pops up in uh, one of the student. Well, films. that isn't like it's a wonderful life parody. That's it's kind. It's he's watching. It's a wonderful life, but then it's like it's kind of just like a generic like gritty fifties oh, yeah. movie where he's like down on his luck at the bottom of a bottle and you know he's like i used to be on top and now i'm on the bottom mm -hmm. like that that kind of a thing when speaking of these parody films like as he's describing his own film and then other people are talking over it it changes and the actors as they show it are just waiting to hear what they're gonna they're gonna change to too yeah, that's right. fun and looking like pissed yeah. off and bored and they're like okay you know they have to like walk out into the snow again. They'll just like disappear into the. And maybe. Oh, so actually, can I say something crazy? Um, you were talking about the other good performances in this movie, <laughs> and the other characters. So right, he's a student filmmaker, and the opening, one of the opening scenes, he's going to this event, and the, they they show like five different student movies, and each one is kind of a joke on a different kind of student movie, and then there's like a meta joke about like how they have the money to be going to film school. It's like oh, yeah. you know a, a hedge fund has given them money, or it's like the their family, dad yeah. is the most famous agent in Hollywood, and it's like there's all these jokes on jokes about showbiz. Okay, so one of the other filmmakers is like Jonathan Tristan Bennett, who's played Dan by Schneider. Dan Schneider. Who directed, right. created all of that. Well, Dan Schneider. So he was like, I know Dan Schneider from uh, Head Better of the Class, class yeah. which is this. Yeah, he's 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 a big sort of soft looking, <laughs> you know, kind of fat guy, but not that fat. And he's also in this movie. He's like a huge asshole. He's like very self serious. Uh, Kevin Bacon runs into him at a party, and he's like, I have three deals, and I'm halfway through my novel. Like, that's his line. He's wearing sunglasses. He's, like, a huge asshole. But, yeah, he created all that. Like, he he's written for, like, at least a dozen different shows like that. He wrote he's, the he great, Burger he created, movie. He created all those shows. Uh, yeah. 
Zoe 101, iCarly, Drake and Josh. Keenan and Kel, um, Amanda Show. Keenan and Kel. Amanda Show, yeah. He created all yeah. of these shows. And it's so funny because it's like, you know, he's in this movie being like a Hollywood asshole who's like has all these deals to write all these shows. But like that turned out to be his life. <laughs> you know, that really was what he did. I mean, not that he's an asshole, but that he had like a thousand <laughs> deals writing a thousand shows. Uh, he also, I think I brought up this movie once a long time ago on this podcast. He also wrote the movie uh, Big Fat Liar, which is a... Fun Paul Giamatti, Frankie Muniz vehicle. <laughs> oh my god, it's just so crazy. You know, I really was, and it's like because it's like it's like in, in the one in, on the one sense, it's like oh, lol, he's making kids TV, but it's also like bank. he made like the most successful making, children's television. Been doing it for over 20, twenty years, yeah. And he made all of them, all of these. The people who starred in these shows are now just regular parts of culture yeah. because he made these shows. I wasn't you know? ready to talk about Dan Schneider, but I'm very glad we did because I knew all this <laughs> stuff on my head anyway. <laughs> That's so funny. I just recognized him from Head of the Class, and I so I was looking him up, and I was like, oh, yeah. my God, I can't believe he I recognized like, created him because, all these yeah, shows. From, from, from that bullshit. Yeah, he was in the Better Off Dead, I think, too. And, oh, and wow. 80, he's a, he was an 80s he's guy. Yeah. I mean, he's in this movie. He's yeah. good. He's, he's good. He's, he's a movie. funny guy. Who loves orange soda? <laughs> Kale loves orange soda. Is it true? Is it true? Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, it's true. Ooh. It's just a very well put together movie, but at the same time, it is a little bit like, like I said, it's cartoony and it, mm-hmm. and it knows it's cartoony and it's, it's very meta in that the movie is about a filmmaker trying to make his movie appeal to people and you get the sense that like, that happened with this movie also. Yeah, I would... Like we said, there's this one 40s flashback. There's even like another like worse 40s flashback where he's like imagining confessing fucking Terry Hatcher to his girlfriend and it's like a noir movie, but it's so cheesy yeah. and bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, I would say the most family guy, and I do mean that in a derogatory sense, <laughs> the most family guy cutaway is one time D-list movie producer who's pitched this movie to just says, you know, it works buddy movies. You know who are the two most famous people that people like? Abraham Lincoln and Babe Ruth. So there's an Abe and the Babe segment where it's just... And it's long. It's like at least two minutes. And really nothing happens in it. Like it's just a very fucking stupid joke that like looks funny enough that it's comedy, uh, which might be the joke. That's as weird as this movie gets. (laughs) Dude, that is like a very family guy cutaway. You're right. It's like they wouldn't even do that on American Dad. On American Dad, they would like just kind of make a reference to it in a way that... Yeah, like that's why I like. And it let you imagine it, and it would be kind of funny. But on a, on Family Guy, they would show you two solid minutes of Abe and the Babe, which is what they do in this movie. <laughs> right. To uh, state my Family Guy opinion record, on the record, uh, I like the first two seasons before it got when it got then it got canceled, and those writers uh, didn't come back for when it brought, Family Guy came back. Those writers actually went on to do American Dad, which Chris absolutely oh, pointed yeah. out is more nuanced and thoughtful much in this story. Yeah. <laughs> much, much better show. It's funny because it, the premise is really thin. The premise is like the dad is a CIA agent who like loves the, you know, the war on terror and his daughter's a hippie. And then, you know, whatever, blah, blah. He lives with an they alien. Let the characters grow. Yeah. But like, but that's only the plot for like the first mm-hmm. season. Basically. The characters and really then do they grow just grow show. so far beyond mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's, really it's a very underrated show. It's still on, I believe. It's still on. It is still, and you know what? I'll tell you the episodes are still good. They're still good. I need to check them out again, but yeah, I like to get back and maybe wind it down a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, the big picture, a movie that's really about how the people in charge have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. And, Everyone is just out to impress everybody. 
Uh, and it all seems abs- absurd, sure. But uh, I've, uh, there's a little anecdote that uh, this is from the DVD commentary that Christopher Guest shared for the big picture. During the movie, the studio head, uh, Columbia Pictures, I believe, uh, David Putnam, was replaced by a woman named Dawn Steele, which happens in this movie. There's a woman that replaces the studio head. So, and Guest only had one meeting with her. The movie was basically wrapped at this point. And she opened the meeting by saying, I talked to a lot of the former producer's uh, friends, and they all hate this movie, <laughs> which is just basically a thing that's pulled out of this movie, but after the fact, the movie's so made. Weird. It's very surreal and weird. So that's so weird. shows to how authentic I mean, the movie gets to be about the studio business. I mean, it is so authentic, especially about... I mean, look, I don't have a lot of experience with this kind of stuff. I've, I'm, I've done journalism. I've met with like magazine editors, and I've met with... You know, newspaper editors, and and in, and I'm have gone through a little bit of Hollywood stuff, just the world's tiniest amount, nothing comparing <laughs> with anything in this movie. But like, one of the things I really loved is the way that they show these like important people in Hollywood. Like, they say things that you think to yourself, like things that seem very banal and stupid and ill-informed, but because of how powerful they are, and because you want something out of them, you just kind of think to yourself like oh shit i don't know what to say oh my god i should figure out something to say to this i can't believe i'm so stupid but like in fact they are saying things that are stupid like it's not (laughs) it's like something about their position in society makes any stupid thing they say sound profound but it's not it's not that they're profound and you're like weird and in your head it's that they are actually idiots (laughs) you know like they actually don't know what they're talking about Uh, and i thought that was really well done in this Mm -hmm. yeah it just goes to show that pushing through in your art and you know, keeping the things in life that make you truly happy, because that's what this movie is ultimately about. Keep those to the close. Yeah, so I know we're getting, I know we're getting near the end, but I just wanted to say very quickly yeah. that Martin Short says something at one of his scenes. There's a part of the movie where suddenly Kevin Bacon is very hot, which actually I dislike the ending of this movie. It's too. Happy it does wrap it up very nicely. Like yeah. He says to someone on the phone, "Relax your crack," which I thought was <laughs> the most perfect '80s thing to ever say. <laughs> Relax your crack. I mean, he's a genius. He's a genius. Even in a movie, I think I forget if we did, we didn't do it for the show. I don't think, but um, uh, Harry Vice. Vice. I know, so I was, uh, he's great in that movie. I hate that movie, but I think he's very, very good in it. Because yeah, he, uh, um, he's again, he's just stealing the show. He's just stealing the show, doing exactly what he wants to do, and it's so compelling and hilarious. Let's yeah. get down to the name of the show. So, Caleb, let's say that you had to pick one of these movies or you had to write and direct episodes of iCarly for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Chris for guess I said that he changed comedy for the very much the better with the whole mockumentary. And I think Best in Show, which is experiencing its 20th anniversary as this year. It is experiencing its anniversary. <laughs> Best in Show, Mighty Wind, Waiting for Guffman. Those mockumentaries are so fucking good. But, you know, this movie isn't one of those <laughs> mockumentaries. So I'm going to pick the 40-year-old version. Uh, again, I'm so impressed. I'm, uh, I, I did read that she has uh, another film in the works, which is very exciting. She's a teacher. She's a playwright. She's a rapper in this movie. And all those aspects... I mean, the movie is a little overlong, but there's also positive and negative in her life. And the way that they... Uh, just written and portrayed has just felt so real. And again, very funny movie. Totally blown away by this movie. It's one of the best movies of the year. It's going to be up there on, on lists when we, a oh, couple yeah. months, we'll see those. For your version, Rada Blank, 
Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I would have to agree with you, Caleb. Like, in a certain way, a lot of times when I'm making the recommendation, I think, like, what would I recommend someone just, like, put on tonight at 8 o'clock if they have nothing to do? And and in that way, like, in a certain way, um, the big picture is a little bit better because it's, like, blandly digestible. You know, it's very easy to have on and watch. Mm -hmm. And you don't even necessarily have to pay attention the entire time. You can just kind of, like, come in and out of it, and you're just getting some jokes and, you know blah blah but like when it comes to what's the better film i mean you you have to say the 40 year old version it's it's so much more interesting and deep and human and true and you know a very now and if you've ever worked in the creative industries in your life you'll identify you'll recognize things about it in in this film and which you know obviously the big picture it's like it's like you're saying it's like a step in Christopher Guest's career. And for Christopher Guest or Kevin Bacon completists, it's very interesting. Yes. <laughs> but like, you know, as just a movie to watch, like you, yeah, it's fine. You don't really need to watch it. You know, like, yeah, it's a good, easy, breezy watch. Uh, like there's some things I didn't find funny as film, but there's things I found pretty funny. So yeah, that's the show dogs. Um, oof, oof, thank you so dog. much for hanging out. Like it's so tight that you came through. Um, yeah, this is our 50th episode. Here. Damn. Is it? Yeah. Wow, holy shit. I know. Caleb, that's crazy. Uh, we might have been, I know we're not might too be 49, far away from two years. But yeah. on Spotify, it said it will be 50. I think we might have had just like one track that was another episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's probably my fault. Sorry. That's, um, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, here's Caleb. Here's the 50 here's more, the brother. 50 you know? more, brother. Peace. Good night. He's stretched it so far that prick. it's still going now through uh, a show called Henry Danger that uh, me and Chris watched stoned on a bachelor party once in the head of Reagan. Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot we did that. Oh my God. <laughs>